Okay, welcome to this week's episode of Life Imitating Movies, a podcast for me and my friend uh, Mitch over there. We uh, get together every week. We talk about the news stories of the week and pull together some movies that we think resemble those stories. Um, so first and foremost, how you doing to this week, Mitch? I'm doing okay. Uh, suffering from some allergies this morning, so if I sound a little nasally or if uh, I'm sniffing a lot uh, this episode, it's not because of uh, some other reason. So, you know, just <laughs> yeah. wanted to clear the air with that. Well, I guess allergies is a good segue into the opening question this week, because with, with summer here, essentially, I guess it's not technically here, but it's here, you know, I think about summer movies, and, uh, you know, I try, I usually pull out a, a stack of movies to watch to kind of get me into the summer mood so that's the opening question is what's your favorite or what's like your go-to summer movie yeah when you sent over this question i was kind of thinking that means either maybe summer blockbuster or a movie that just makes me nostalgic for summer or a movie that just takes place during summer like you know you could go a couple different ways with this but the movie i ultimately landed on that just for me just brings back memories of summer and childhood and that sort of thing is The Sandlot. You know, it's just a great nostalgic summer movie just about a bunch of kids just playing baseball in the neighborhood, getting getting into trouble, you know, having some hijinks, just going on little adventures. So, for me that just that hits the the summer theme on the on the head there. It does, dude. I mean, they have a nice July 4th scene in the movie where they single beautiful at the little uh at the, uh, the the little block party they're having and and yeah sandlot's one of the greatest movies ever made and as a kid i got mistaken for hambino all the freaking time i still get mistaken for the great hambino all the time just a fat redhead is gonna I, it happens all the time so for your summer movie did you kind of go in that same direction kind of leaning back on a movie that brings back some summer memories as a kid for you or just where did you kind of go I went with a movie that you and I have discussed before, not here, but in when in person when we were working together, and that's Heavyweights. <laughs> I mean, Heavyweights is about fat camp, fat kids at summer camp. <laughs> it was, I think, it was for most of people our age. Maybe you know, obviously, we've said we have Asia, but even even you probably it was our first exposure to like Ben Stiller and like how awesome his comedy was back then and stuff, and. uh the movie's just endlessly quotable. I, I mean, we I, me and my friends quote it to this day. Yeah, that was one of the first movies that Ben Stiller appeared in. And obviously he was hilarious in the movie. But that was another one that I kind of looked at as sort of a summer camp movie that I thought, okay, this would be another good mention. But The Sandlot just kind of took it for me. But Heavyweights is another childhood favorite. And it's another movie that just evokes these memories of summer camps of the past. And it's just a fun, almost kind of family-friendly comedy. I'm not sure if it's quite family-friendly, but it's it's sort of in that territory, so very good pick. It is family-friendly. It's PG, and I did read that it was originally supposed to be PG-13, and that's why if you watch it, a lot of times the mouth does not sync up with what's actually said because they shot it PG-13 and then edited it down to a PG. Yeah, so I think I, I remember hearing that as well, but I think it worked out for the better. I think the movie's still funny, and again, I think it is pretty family-friendly, maybe a movie to watch with your kids, so definitely a good pick and definitely a, a summer-esque movie to talk about here. All right, so my first story this week is uh, my triumphant return to space news, which I love, and this one was uh, they released some new photos of Jupiter, and they're like insanely detailed awesome pictures of jupiter which if you think back five maybe even you know 10 maybe even five years ago but it was like pictures of that clarity were were scarce like it, i remember them releasing fuzzy footage of 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 these planets and like those are the best shots that they ever got and now they're using different different lighting techniques infrared all this stuff to to, to to get all these different layers of jupiter and they look animated man they look so awesome and it, the story was cool because it was a cool story to read but it was just it was it was it was it was like i was reading a picture book i just couldn't stop looking at the pictures in the story 
Yeah, I'll get to the story in a second, but I will say it was a nice reprieve not having a space-related story bought up by you the last few episodes. So yeah, I, I guess I didn't really appreciate that until it's gone, until we're back on a space story again now. So, no, but look, it, it was really cool to see some of these. I was really kind of blown away by the pictures of Mars that came out not too long ago from that mission and just getting to see this this surface of another planet and just... It's, it really is fascinating stuff that our technology is advancing where we can get clearer looks at some of these things and really bring it to more eyeballs and more audience members to really get more people to see this kind of thing and be a lot more accessible to see these images. It, it really is a great, a great thing. So there's not much more to say about that. You know, go look at the pictures for yourself. They are really great. But I feel like, again, as we say a lot of times on the show, that there's a very clear movie choice relating to this episode that maybe you may have picked. Um, I do think it's a clear choice. We'll see if we pick the same movie. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I guess I'll go first. The movie I picked, because the pictures, to me, look like marbles. Oh, no. So we did pick the same movie. Now, if you remember, at the end of this movie, the camera zooms back, pulls back, pulls back, and it has two alien children playing with a bag of marbles. And these marbles are the galaxies of the world. And the movie is Men in Black. Yeah, no, I, I'll get to my movie in a second. But Men in Black, obviously a classic 90s movie, classic Will Smith movie. Just a classic movie overall, just a blend of sci-fi, action, adventure, comedy, and I think the first one probably did it the best out of the Men in Black movies that have come out. And we've kind of had this topic on a different show where what's a franchise do you think that could use a good reboot, remake, reimagining, whatever? I think Men in Black is prime for one. I think, you know, if you do this right and do it maybe not even in the same vein as the original with the different tones... But just a reboot of Men in Black, if done right, I think this is prime. There, there's so much subject material to work with here that you could go in a million different directions that it's it's prime for a reboot right now. Yeah, I, I the Men in Black 3, I thought was excellent. It was a good final chapter for the Men, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones one. But then they did Men in Black International, and I, I love F. Gary Gray. F. Gary Gray is probably one of my favorite directors because the dude has made so many different styles of movies. He made The Negotiator. He made Friday. I mean, he made uh, uh, Fast... F. Gary Gray did Fast 8, I believe. And so, um, yeah, it was Fast 8. And um, so he's made so many movies, so many different types of movies. He's a great filmmaker. Absolutely love him. But Men in Black International, for me, was a massive misfire. No, that's just one of those movies where, for me, too, I liked the people involved. But I didn't like the movie. I, I thought it was really subpar and it just felt like a a hollow studio movie that just reeked of we're just trying to do the bare minimum by template to make as much money as possible kind of movie. So maybe maybe someday soon they'll, they'll kind of reboot it, Men in Black, and, and get it right. But getting back to the original, you know, what's, what's your favorite part of this movie? What do you like the most? What do you like watching when you go back and you see it again? Because for me... It's a lot of different things, but I think, again, they just balance so many different tones right, and it was just so new and interesting when it came out. So what do you like about the original movie? I mean, everything about the I love yeah, the original movie. I remember seeing that in theaters, 97, with my grandma, and then I came home and saw it. I was visiting my grandma in Texas, and then I came home and saw it with my dad when I got back to Maryland. And, uh, and uh, I mean... The one thing I always remember is whenever I put, it's one of those things, whenever I put sugar in coffee, I always think of Vincent D'Onofrio saying sugar water. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, that's like the thing that stuck with me. Yeah. And a lot of people may not know that Edgar, the farmer whose body is kind of taken over by the alien in the movie, that is Vincent D'Onofrio. And if you don't really know that name, you probably know, know him from a lot of different things. Um, most recently, famously, he played Kingpin in Netflix's Daredevil. So a lot of people don't know that that's that guy. So because this was a movie that was made in the 90s. And I will say I was a little young to see it in theaters, but I eventually did see it on VHS tape. If you could believe that for you youngins out there, that was how we used to watch movies at home. But 
you know, Men in Black, uh, the 90, the original 90s one, just such a fun movie. And I think probably one of Will Smith's best ones, too. Without a doubt, yeah. But, dude, the ending where they pull back and it has the two aliens playing marbles. And it just, that's bring, brought me to the story. Because the second I saw those images, I was like, those look like awesome marbles. And it just, Men in Black was immediately what went through my head. So now I'm curious what the obvious movie is for you. Well, you're probably going to palm your forehead or something to that degree when I say what my movie is, because the movie I picked relating to the story of images from Jupiter is Jupiter Ascending. So, you know, obviously this wasn't a very good movie, but this was, you know, as soon as I heard Jupiter, oh, I got to pick a movie associated with images of Jupiter, Jupiter Ascending. So this movie, I've said before on the show, I want all movies to be good. I want movies to get it right and not really have to live in a world with bad movies. But this one just not the best effort from the Wachowski siblings. Uh, this was the same duo, the same siblings that directed the Matrix trilogy, came roaring onto the scene with that franchise. And then they got, you know, essentially a blank check to make this movie. And it just such a big misfire. It just doesn't work on a lot of different levels, the acting, the story is just so needlessly confusing. It just, it, it's just a mess. So Jupiter Ascending, I remember not hating as much as everybody. I remember, I haven't seen it in a while, so obviously I didn't love it. Now, if correct me if I'm wrong, and I could be very wrong here, wasn't Jupiter the name of the character, not the planet, or am I wrong? Yes, but, you know, it does definitely sort of have to do with Jupiter. Again, the plot is just so needlessly confusing. But, you know, the, it's right there in the title, even if it really doesn't <laughs> take place on Jupiter the entire time, or even if the main character wasn't named Jupiter. It's right there in the title. It's easy word associations. So that's a reason why I, I kind you. of picked it relating to this story. I'll give you that. And that's another one where the directors, I see, is it Wachowski's or Wachowski? I never, I never know. I call them the Wachowski's. I believe it's Wachowski. Wachowski, all right, and then I'll, of course, correct. So I, I love the Wachowski's. And even when they do kind of misfire, maybe with the Jupiter Ascending or or even, um, uh, you know, Speed Racer, a lot of been tanked. And I love Speed Racer, man. So I, I, I very much enjoy the Wachowski's films. And I, I they take chances, man. They do not make run-of-the-mill movies and even if if it if it's a misfire like a jupiter ascending i'm gonna appreciate what they did because it is unlike anything i've seen and i will appreciate that even if the final product wasn't my favorite absolutely i agree with you where i like that they at least took a risk and they tried something original and don't get me wrong for me at least it was a big swing and miss but at the same time, I like that they are original and they have original ideas that they really get behind and that they really try to bring to life, really show people their visions. So I am all for that. It just doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a hit, a hit and it's going to connect with audiences 100% of the time when they come out with an idea that's a little bit out there like this. Right on. And, and I, well, for the Wachowski, for uh, I think it's Lana Wachowski, who's the sole director of the upcoming Matrix movie. That's the one movie where I said, regardless of COVID, I'm, I'm going to see that in theaters. I have to see the new Matrix in theaters. Yeah, as a quick side note, you know, I was looking at kind of the calendar for movies coming out and we're starting to get to a point where we're seeing less streaming releases for big movies and we're starting to see only in theaters come back. And Again, we're, we're kind of living in a time where I'm still trying to figure out what I'm comfortable with and we're, we're getting there with more vaccines and that sort of thing. But I looked at the, the calendar for movies coming out this year and there's kind of this, this streak in October of three weeks in a row of new movies coming out that if not by then, that those are going to definitely drag me back to theaters. And that's the Halloween sequel that's coming out. That's the James Bond movie that's coming out as well as others. And those ones are the ones that everyone has one that's going to come out this year, at least where it's going to drag them back to theaters. So I'm looking forward to that. Again, we'll, we'll see kind of how the landscape is and what theaters are open or not open, you know, come October or later in the year. 
Yeah, I'm having that discussion this weekend because I am a I am a fan of the Saw series and Spiral came out and I really want to go see Spiral, but I'm not at a movie theater point just yet. So I will also say as a note for the, the show and the podcast then that this will be kind of on a case by case basis as we get more and more movies that are coming out only in theaters and we have kind of our, our new release movie of the week that we like to close the show with and talk about these new movies. But this will definitely be a case-by-case basis about whether or not Brad or I or both of us go to see a movie in theaters because, again, it's about what we feel comfortable with right now. If we want to go see a movie in theaters and talk about it, or we just pass on a movie, like let's say we pass on Spiral because neither of us really want to go to a theater right this second, and we'll talk about another movie instead or we'll cover Spiral in the future when it comes out on home video or some such avenue like that. So it's really just going to be on a case-by-case basis for the sake of the show here. Obviously, a big news story here during the week is this pipeline crisis where we're seeing these gasoline shortages and people panic buy gasoline. And most recently, the latest development was that the ransom was paid to this person who hacked the pipeline. It's just, it's a bizarre series of events that's still unfolding that a lot of people are maybe reacting to a little rashly but you know this was certainly an interesting story and certainly a big story of the week that continues to develop so what did you think kind of reading about this and hearing about it well for one i didn't i didn't know that they actually paid the ransom i thought they made a point to say they they did not pay the ransom so is is that an update that's an actual update (laughs) Maybe my sources are wrong on that one. But again, this is just one of those stories that, you know, we're recording the episode here. And this is a story that continues to obviously develop and have new twists and turns. So maybe, maybe not. But the point is, this is still an ongoing story. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, dude, it was people were panicked by it. It just this is one of the reasons I get so frustrated with the people in this country to not get too hot button but it's just like gee, come on people come on get people did you see the pictures of people filling up uh, uh storage bins of gasoline and stuff and people pulling up with the tanks and everything it's just like you're the reason this happens it's 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 a catch-22 if you will the yeah, reason so there is just, no gas is because you people buy too much gas and it's just so ridiculous. this is obviously something that is still ongoing and apparently a solution that should come by next week but you know this kind of brings me back to the beginning of the pandemic when people were panic buying food and toilet paper and that sort of thing that just you know I, I kind of agree with you a little bit where they're just kind of making the crisis worse that they're kind of instigating it but Obviously, this is a different type of discussion, but, you know, I just thought this was an interesting story and kind of maybe makes you roll your eyes a little bit about the people that are going out and filling out uh, gallons of gasoline to take home. Yeah. And I mean, I think by Wednesday night, the pipeline was back. They said they had it back online. They had a new firewall or something installed that blah, blah, blah. I don't know the specifics. And then they said gas will be back to normal within like a week or two. And it was just like, Cool. So this was a big story, but ultimately a non-story. So moving on to the movie picks related to this one, I picked one that as soon as I say it, you'll kind of get it and maybe chuckle a little bit. But the movie that I picked related to the story about gasoline is the movie Zoolander, because in the movie, there's a scene where the models are having a gasoline fight and just kind of spraying each other and then don't really realize. And one of them, kind of uses a lighter or a match or whatever it is, and they blow up. So just a funny scene that kind of reminded me of this story. Maybe this is, I thought maybe this is the reason why we have a gasoline shortage is because people are having gasoline fights, you know, just doing this sort of thing in real life. So definitely a classic comedy and definitely a funny scene. I guess, yeah, when you're ridiculously, ridiculously good looking, you can you can get away with those types of things. Uh that is a that is a funny yeah I love Zoolander <laughs> Zoolander is fun it, it, the sequel not as good but the first one is a classic we've talked about it on the show before these long gestating sequels to movies that don't really need them like these sequels that come twenty years after a movie is made and then bombs because no one really asked for it and it didn't really need to be made and it kind of undermines the integrity and the originality of 
the first movie when they do something like this. And Zoolander 2, I think, is a very clear example of that. It's it's a movie that didn't need to be made. But getting back to the first one, I think it's a funny original idea. Again, going back to Ben Stiller here, I think a great classic comedy performance by him. Just really funny movie. Really funny to go back and watch that one. Yeah, Ben Stiller, for my, he's one of the best comedic actors I absolutely love. And, I mean, obviously it comes from his parents, which Jerry Stiller and, and Mira who were comedy legends and back in their day and Jerry Stiller obviously went on to Seinfeld and King of Queens and stuff. And, and that's just a, just a talented family. Yeah. Jerry Stiller obviously has a little bit of an appearance in Zoolander as well. He kind of plays, I believe it's his agent or publicist or something, something along that line where he, it's funny. It's a little bit of meta commentary where Jerry Stiller is kind of playing Ben Stiller's agent, publicist, whatever it is, and he's his dad in real life, obviously. So just a fun little Easter egg there. And certainly miss Jerry Stiller. I certainly grew up on Seinfeld. So Zoolander, I think, just a very funny male model comedy movie, some funny appearances in there, funny performances. Yeah, Zoolander is a classic movie. So my movie, I went a little different. I went, uh, I went you know, this was cyber terrorism was what happened to this pipeline. And so the only movie I could think of that was true cyber terrorism was Live Free or Die Hard. And that movie is what's a Tim- Timothy Oliphant is a cyber terrorist in that. And then they have to call in John McClane after he kidnaps his daughter. And uh, for my money, you know, it's not as good as one or three, which are two of the classic best. I mean, one and three are two of the best movies ever made. Uh, live uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and I always am just like, which one's better, dude? Because I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. But the fourth one, for my money, I thought was pretty good, man. I I I I I, I didn't hate it. I I I actually enjoy. It. I if I watch Die Hard movies, I watch the fourth one with it. I don't watch the fifth one because that one's unwatchable. No, I think you're right. Where. It was okay. It was decent. It wasn't terrible. But again, just when you're saying it's a diehard franchise movie that, again, it just doesn't live up to the original. There's no two ways about it that it just, it's good. It's decent. It's probably one of the better diehard sequels. And that's not really saying much, but it just doesn't live up to the original. And I still enjoyed it. I thought it was a decent action movie. But again, kind of hearkening back to what we were talking about previously on the show, where I liked the people that were in the movie. I didn't necessarily think it was their best movie or their best performance in Live Free or Die Hard, such as Timothy Oliphant. I, I like I, I really liked his acting. I really liked the projects that he's been in in the past, but this one to me just I didn't really like his performance that much. I thought it was pretty cheesy, but this was still a pretty decent movie at the end of the day. I liked it. I mean, I think when they released it theatrically, they went PG-13, which really watered it down. But on video, they released the unrated cut, which is what they originally shot for, was just an R-rated cut. And that one is leaps and bounds better than the PG-13 cut because they restore the F-words. They restore yippee-ki-yay, mother, blah, blah, blah. You know, they restore the blood, the the, the what made Die Hard Die Hard, man, because John McClane's a foul-mouthed hero. And a PG-13 movie kind of neutered that. And so I, the, the unrated cut is far superior. All right, so my next story is a little movie news. Is uh, They're going to be making a uh, <clears throat> biopic of the guy who created the Flaming Hot Cheetos. And uh, I just remember when I first heard the story, I just saw the headline, which was, you know, a uh, movie about Flaming Hot Cheetos being made. And I saw the headline. I'm just like, that's dumb that's what what's the point of that but honestly when i actually read the story i was like oh that actually sounds like it's gonna be a really good movie a really good character movie and i i i'm actually looking forward to it. it's kind of the type of movie i enjoy a true a movie based on on true story uh, um um you know that delves into something as simple as flaming hot cheetos yeah, I'm willing to give this one the benefit of the doubt, too, because I'll be honest, when I saw the headline, I thought it was pretty dumb, too, where you're making a biopic about the person who invented Flamin' Hot Cheetos. And I thought, wow, we're really running out of ideas here. But when you break down a lot of popular movies into their simplest synopsis, tagline, whatever you want to call it, some other movies on paper sound like stupid ideas, too, that turned out really well. So I'm willing to give this one the benefit of the doubt, but... 
again, it just kind of, you, you just kind of laugh kind of reading that headline. So what movie did you kind of pick related to this story? Because Ava Longoria is obviously kind of working on this movie. You see that in the headline and you kind of read about it in the story. So I definitely kind of went with that instead of a, a food related movie, you know, and I'm not sure if you did the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ava Longoria, I guess I'm not sure if she just signed on to direct it. I, I like Ava Longoria. I am, I will fully admit I watch Desperate Housewives every week. I am, I was a fan of that show. I thought that show was great. Uh, I have, I looked over her directorial stuff. There wasn't anything in there I've actually seen of hers, but when you look at the history of actors turned directors, most of them turn out really good product because they just have that knowledge of working on sets their whole life or whatever. So I, I'm, I'm interested in, 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 in her as a, as a big movie director. Sure. Like about so, a lot, like a lot of other actors that have turned directors or filmmakers, producers, a lot of them have seemed to have some success. So I'm interested to see what she can do as well. I'm always willing to give the benefit of the doubt to an actor who becomes a producer, director, or something along that line where they have a part in making a movie and see how they do. So I'll certainly give this movie a shot when it comes out eventually. They obviously just started working on it. But when I selected a movie related to this story, um, little known fact, or maybe a lot of people know it, and I'm just the last one to know, but Abel Longoria was actually a producer on the original, the movie John Wick the first in the franchise. So that's where I went with mine because I think the John Wick series, this is one of the better action movie franchises that we have out right now because it doesn't really rely on a lot of the action movie tropes and cliches that a lot of other ones have in the recent past. There's no shaky cam or a million different cuts or, you know, they really showcase the action and, Really, how do you not like Keanu Reeves in the title role? He just, the guy's in his 50s and he's still just pulling off all these stunts and it makes it look so real and just the action and even the story is pretty good too. And I get not a lot of people come to action movies for their story, but I think it's an interesting world that's been crafted in this film series. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love the John Wick franchise, man. They are, uh, they're so good. And I, I like the original, how the stories came to be was um, they were, the people who directed it was Chad Stahelski, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that, and David Leitch, who um, were Keanu Reeves' stuntmen. They were his stunt doubles for the Matrix series and I think Speedman, and his stunt doubles in early in his career and everything. And then they made the leap to directing and they went to Reeves to star in the movie, and Reeves was like, hell yeah, I'm going to star in this movie for you. And I'm pretty sure he took a pay cut. Pay cut. I mean, if you know anything about Keanu Reeves in Hollywood, he's widely known to be, like, the greatest guy in, in Hollywood, like the nicest. He, he took a almost $40 million pay cut from the Matrix sequels so that the uh, SFX people could get paid. I mean, the guy is is, is amazing. I love John Keanu Reeves is one of my all-time favorite actors, and, 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 and just how awesome he is is, is – it makes you like him even more knowing that stuff. Yeah, I, I've heard things about he's, you know, just one of the nicest guys in the business. And, you know, how could you really not like him as an actor? And I feel like John Wick, this franchise has almost kind of reinvigorated his career where maybe after The Matrix, he was, you know, maybe not as popular as he was around that time. And John Wick kind of comes along and kind of reinvents, reinvents how people perceive him as an actor and the roles that he can do. So I think John Wick not only is a revolutionary new modern action franchise, but also kind of reinvigorated Keanu Reeves's career as of late. It did, yeah, because I think at the time John Wick came out, he had just starred in like 47 Ronin, which I never saw. It wasn't my type of movie. And it did, it tanked pretty hardcore. And I think, yeah, he was making a lot of lackluster movies. And John Wick came out, simple premise, you know, they kill his dog and he goes out for revenge. And it's just a freaking awesome movie. And then the sequels came out. And it, for, for me, I don't know for you, they were not diminishing returns, man. They they seem like, well, the sequels seem like one cohesive story throughout. And it just, I, I can't wait for four. I think they're doing four and five. The only thing I hope is that they bring back John Leguizamo because he was in the first movie. I absolutely love John Leguizamo. 
Look, I agree with you where I like him too as an actor, but I think that maybe kind of ruins perception of movies when people go in with their expectations and then it doesn't happen the way that they pictured it in their head and it doesn't live up to that. But so I'm just along for the ride that they present. And I think you're right. I think it's a very cohesive storyline from movie to movie, a plot that just seems to carry through. And it's just, it's literally just a sequence of events. It's not like you have one movie and then here's a sequel movie where crazy stuff happens again. It feels like a narrative that just keeps going. So I think you're right. I think the sequels, when you look at a sequel, you really think it's not quite as good as the original. You want to do bigger and better, but also some of the same stuff. And I think these sequels balance that really well. I think they're not really diminishing returns that they continue to evolve the story and the characters and the action and they do it really well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll move on to my movie pick. So this, this story about the flaming hot Cheetos is about a janitor who creates the dust for these Cheetos. And what other movie is about a janitor that, that overcomes everything to be the, 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 the savior of the company. I don't know if the company or whatever, I went with Goodwill hunting. <laughs> yeah. So because... we've definitely, we've definitely talked about this movie on the podcast before. So we'll probably keep it a little bit brief this time, but Anything else you wanted to contribute this time to Goodwill Hunting? Obviously, a movie I really like as well. But anything else you wanted to kind of bring up this go around about it? Uh, just that we should treat our janitors better because they're all geniuses. <laughs> we should just treat people better. How about that? You know, it doesn't matter if they're a janitor or like um, not Eric Selvig because that's the the MCU name of the actor. But Stellan Skarsgård is that the the name of the actor? But whether they're a math professor or whether they're a janitor in this movie, just treat everybody equally. How about that? Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think we have talked about it. I mean, the story of the screenplay I love. Robin Williams, obviously one of my idols. Love that he won his Oscar for that finally. I, I mean, the line where he says, you know, talk about my wife again, I will end you. It's like one of the best line readings I've ever heard. And, uh, it's one of those movies, man. You can endlessly go back to it. Yeah, I know you really like that particular line. And obviously there's a classic monologue in there where he talks to, obviously, Matt Damon's character about his lack of experience as a kid and the things that Robin Williams has done. And just it's really just a classic movie, a really kind of feel-good movie, even though it does have some some struggles in it. So, you know, we've covered it before, covered it before we've talked about it before, but still a movie that we both like to, to see and talk about on occasion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I'll be honest, I thought you were going to go with the founder for your movie. <laughs> no, because again, that that's one that we've touched on before. And we try not to really repeat picks unless they're the very obvious choice for a story or it's a movie that we both just insanely love and just like to bring up over and over again. So we try to keep it fresh here. You know, we, we try to bring up because there are so many movies out there that we can cover and talk about. So we try to keep it fresh. So a big story this past week in the entertainment industry has been the kind of cancellation of the Golden Globes by NBC that they seems like they won't be airing them on TV. And this comes in light of the fact that a lot of people are kind of speaking out against the Golden Globes and the, I can't remember the acronym or what it stands for, but the organization that kind of is behind these and just People really calling for a lot more diversity in the board members and the selections of movies that are nominated and actors and such. So, you know, this seems like it's just a thing that just keeps snowballing and that we might not get a clear conclusion to in the near future here. Yeah, it's HFPA, Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And so I'll be honest, I knew this was a big story this week. I was hoping this would not be one of your picks because this is a very hot button story and it's one there. There are views that may not be of the popular. I'm not sure what my views are on it. I, when you say the Hollywood foreign press doesn't have diversity, I'm like, how can the Hollywood foreign press not have diversity? It seems like, I know they said that of their 83 members or 89 members, they don't have any black journalists um, that's a true statement. I don't know what the reason for that is. Who knows? But I'll skip through that because those are the hot button topics that, you know, you can't really get in. Obviously, you want every 
you want everybody to be represented in that. And in, 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 in a group of 80, 89 journalists throughout the world, you, they should have representation from everybody. I, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all, but I think one of the big reasons, one of the things that don't get talked about as much is, uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association apparently are big into, uh, you know, the lavish parties and the, and, and I think a big, reason that um, Netflix and these studios came out against them was they're sick of spending millions and millions of dollars to uh, uh, lavish food and praise and parties on these voters solely so they vote for their movies. And I really think that is the huge underlying cause of, 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 of everything that's going on is that I don't want to say they're corrupt, but they are pretty much like you want us to vote for your movie what are you going to do for us? Throw the big party. We want to be partied. Sure. So obviously this is a very complicated issue, very hot button, uh, maybe some pay to play in there as well, like you were talking about. So we'll just kind of move on here. You know, obviously, like I said, this is a still an, an ongoing situation that is still developing that we'll see what kind of resolution is kind of arrived at in the near future here. So picking out a movie related to this story, you know, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler have hosted the Golden Globes in the past, and I believe we're supposed to host this year's kind of ceremonies. So obviously I kind of went with a movie that they were both in. And to be fair, there, there aren't as many as I thought there were, but there are a few that I have seen. And the one that I did pick is Anchorman 2, where they both have cameos as kind of the rival news stations in that brawl. The brawl in the second one that again we've talked about this in the past on a previous episode where you know it's funny anchorman 2 is a good comedy but doesn't quite live up to the original the brawl between all the different rival news station teams doesn't have the same fresh impact as it did when you're surprised by it the first time around but still a loose excuse to kind of talk about the movie yeah, I liked Anchorman too. Like you said, I think we talked about it, and we talked about the brawl specifically, I believe. And and um, I didn't remember that they were in the brawl. To be honest, I haven't seen that movie in a while. Um, but yeah, I, Anchorman two for me was one of the better sequels of a classic comedy. But yeah, not as good as the original. But I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I think we kind of talked about it before. Where it's a, it's good, it's solid, it's a funny comedy. Again, it just doesn't have the same impact as the first, but I think in terms of a comedy sequel, there are certainly worse ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have much to add to Anchorman 2, other than I enjoyed it. Not as good as the first, but I still enjoyed it. Maybe that kind of speaks to it that it's a little bit of a forgettable movie where it was good. You're, you're going to go see it in theaters and then probably forget about it a few days afterwards, but enjoy yourself while you're seeing it. So... Not the worst, not the best. So where did you kind of go? Uh, so I went with, uh, I'll give a spoiler tag to this, even though it's an older, not really older, but it's Entourage the movie. And it's because at the end of Entourage the movie, Kevin Dillon's character, Johnny, Johnny Drama, wins a Golden Globe, which is kind of the culmination of the entire series which was Johnny Drama was a guy who never got taken seriously. His career, he was on a big TV show back in the day, and then his career kind of tanked. He was living in his brother's shadow. And so the end of the Entourage movie where uh, he finally, he gets his Golden Globe, he gets the respect and everything. And it was just, it's a, I, I was trying to think of movies where they have award shows in them. And so we had talked about, uh, I was going to go Tropic Thunder or something with that, but Entourage is very specific to the Golden Globes. Yeah, this was a movie where I actually just started rewatching the TV show again recently, just something to kind of watch in the background and just enjoy again that I haven't seen in a while. But I will say I haven't seen the movie because I heard it was pretty bad. And I'll be honest, I did, instead of decide to see this one day, just kind of read the Wikipedia article for it and just kind of read about the plot and who kind of shows up. And I... I will say, again, this is not really a super new movie, but in the last four or five years, I think it came out. But I will say spoilers as well, where, again, I read that in the movie, it kind of undoes some of the things the way that the show ended them with, obviously, Vince getting married and some other things where it just kind of undoes that. And I never really like when a movie that's based off of a TV show does that. Instead, 
just give me building on what was established in the finale or the latest season of the TV show that the movie then follows. Just build on what's presented instead of undoing that because it cheapens in hindsight what the show built up to. And then the movie just comes along in, in an hour or two and just kind of undoes some of that and just says, screw it, we're just going to do our own thing. So I'm not really regretting not seeing that. I mean, I will say, I think maybe the bad reviews came from the same people who didn't watch the show. So if, I think if you watch the show, you should watch the movie because the movie really is kind of just a, a hour and a half episode. And it really, and I enjoy, I love Entourage. Uh, and so seeing the movie, for, I saw it twice in theaters and stuff. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the series. It works kind of as a series finale, really, for the, for the, uh, for the, for the, for the series. I, I was, I'm, I'm hopeful because Doug Ellen, the creator, had said that he had mapped out, you know, another two movies. Obviously, Entourage tanked in theaters. But I was hopeful HBO may pick up and create kind of HBO, well, HBO Max now, but HBO, you know, TV movies of the series. But I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Or maybe they just kind of reboot the series as a whole. Maybe they do it with a new cast, new premise, new angle, whatever it may be. Because believe it or not, the first episode of the show, Entourage, aired in, I believe it was 2003 or 2004. So we're coming up on 15, 20 years here that the show premiered. So maybe they just decide to reboot it. I would be up for seeing how an Entourage reboot or remake could do as a show. I don't necessarily think a premise like this can fit inside of just one or two movies. I think the, the show was the better move where you have time to stretch out and you have plot lines over multiple episodes and you have character development that occurs slowly over the course of the show. I think that would definitely be the way, the better way to go if they were to reinvigorate the Entourage brand. I agree if they were to bring back the original cast. If they were to do an Entourage with a brand new cast, I can't see myself watching that. It's kind of like Sons of Anarchy. They have this new Sons of Anarchy show on TV. I watched one episode. And I was like, nope, I'm not into this. It's, it's, it's just a cheap imitation of the original. Well, not to go on a, a mini rant here, but I think that's part of the problem these days is when we get a reimagining or a remake or a reboot of something, people always are living in the past when they say, I'm not going to watch this unless the original person is in it, you know, after 20, 30 years. And that doesn't always necessarily work. At some point, we have to move on and we have to be, look at a different vision with fresh eyes. It's like the newest Terminator movie, which, look, that didn't work for different reasons. And it's great that they bought Sarah Connor back, but Sarah Connor and Arnold Schwarzenegger's The T-800, they both look exactly how old they are. I think at some point we just have to move past and be able to look at a new vision, like this new Blade franchise that's coming out with Mahershala Ali. Obviously, people have the Wesley Snipes version in their mind that they like, and they say, oh, and you're among them that say, like, he has to have a cameo, he has to have a part in this. Look, that's great that you're fans of the originals, but at some point we have to move on. You know, it's going to be it's going to be a number of years since the original of something happened and we have to be able to move on. I agree. I'm looking forward to the new Blade movie because that's going to be a full on new telling of it. Uh, but with the Entourage and with Terminator, I'm going to have to just say we'll just end on agree to disagree. All right, so my last story this week is a big sports story, which is uh, the Jaguars eh, got some press. Jaguars are uh, signing, I don't know if it's official yet, but signing Tim Tebow uh, to a tight end position. And the reason I brought this story to us was so we could talk about, um, you know, Mitch and I met doing uh, working for the AA Orioles team. And, I, and uh, at the time, Tim Tebow was with the uh, Mets AA team. And when Tim, when that team was going to come out to uh, to play at our stadium, there was like a huge to do about it. Remember, they made signs and made promos where you probably worked on some of these promos. Tim Tebow is going to be here. And the week before, or like two days before, our, the series started with the Mets Double A team, whose name escapes me, uh, Tebow got hurt 
and and ended up not coming to to the to our stadium for the games. And it was it was it was one of those funny things in my head. I was just like, you knew something was going to happen with how big they were building it up that that Tebow was not actually going to make it to our stadium. Yeah, it was just a kind of a funny sequence of events. But you know, I saw somebody said recently related to this story of just Tim Tebow in general that. Somebody has to make a 30 for 30 or a biopic about this guy because he has certainly had a very interesting journey bouncing from these different sports and the journey that he's been on and the things that he's experienced. So I would almost be up for that more than seeing him actually play in the NFL again, seeing a an, an interesting journey kind of documentary or biopic about the path that Tim Tebow has been on in life. I would watch that. That would be a good 30. I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but there was a documentary about Brady's story, about how he was picked 169 and everything. It's an excellent documentary. I can't stand Tom Brady at all, but it was a great documentary. With Tim Tebow, I'm like, I don't – he was a decent – wasn't he an okay quarter? Like, he wasn't great, but he was okay to be rostered. And why? I never understood why he was so famous and why Tim Tebow was this big thing or whatever. I never got it really. Like, maybe you can shed more light onto that if you remember that at all. Well, he was just a, a multi-sport athlete. He was just a very athletic guy, had a very magnetic personality, and was able to kind of come in from the dynamic Florida Gators college football team that he was on and have success for a little bit for a few years in the NFL, obviously with the Denver Broncos and won a playoff game or two for them. So I think it's just more about the journey and what he's kind of been through and then Obviously, he stepped away from the NFL and he became a commentator. And now he's back in the NFL after doing a little bit of a stint in baseball. And it's just, again, it's just a really strange yet fascinating sequence of events for this guy. Yeah. And they say, you know, he's going to get signed to the Ross. I think the article mentioned there's that the Jaguars will be five tight ends deep now with him or something like that. So the chances of him actually making the team are very slim. But it was just a big, interesting story that reminded me of something of our, our personal life. Sure. So it'll be really interesting to see, obviously, if he gets any playing time, how he does. But again, I'd just be more interested in seeing a documentary or kind of a biopic about the journey that he's been on. But for my movie, again, it's, it's kind of hard to relate one to this, but I did pick a, a sports movie, but not a classic kind of sports movie where I went with the movie Space Jam. And the reason behind that one is because obviously in the movie, MJ is kind of at that phase in his life where he was a two-sport player, two-sport athlete. So at the time, in the, at the movie, you know, they get him back in time for the, the White Sox game because he's in baseball, but obviously he spends a lot of the movie playing basketball. And that kind of remind me of this for Tebow, who obviously has a background in football, but has played baseball professionally, at least at some level is also kind of the same two-sport athlete. Uh, yeah, I actually, Space Jam did run through my head when I was doing this. Um, I didn't I didn't pick it, though. Uh, yeah, the original Space Jam is, a, it, it's another classic movie, really. I mean, it was uh, Michael Jordan, and, yeah, Bill Murray's, in it. the cameos in it alone were phenomenal. Bill Murray, Wayne Knight, man, uh, and then all the basketball cameos, Muggsy Bogues, all the old classic guys that are in it. And it's uh, Danny DeVito was the voice of the the head monster, the bad guy, the head crime boss or whatever. And it's just a classic, classic movie. I am not exactly looking forward to the sequel, though. (sighs) Again, I'm going to go back to the same discussion we just had where, look, at a certain point, we got to move forward. Like, we get it. You like the the first one, but we got to at least at least just go into this new presentation with fresh eyes. And I see a lot of people saying that online that. Oh, the the new Space Jam is going to suck. LeBron isn't good as as MJ, and you know the '90s one is always going to be it for me. Like, guys, just just have an open mind. Just look. If you don't like the movie after watching it, that's one thing. But don't don't go in saying before you've even seen a second of it that it's going to be terrible. And that's partly the reason that I picked this one too, is because again, obviously, there's this Space Jam sequel that's coming out. And I get it. The the original Space Jam with Michael Jordan is very nostalgic, not only for people like you and me with our childhood, but also it's just like you touched on. It's a very 90s movie. It's very 90s nostalgic. So I get it, but I'm willing to at least give this new one a shot. 
Yeah, I uh, let's be. I don't think my. Uh, I don't phrase it. They're not replacing Michael Jordan, or they're not replacing LeBron James. It's not like Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks was in the original Space Jam. Michael Jordan did LeBron James is a perfectly fine leap. We're not we're not going from an Oscar caliber actor to LeBron James. And when it comes to LeBron James acting, I saw Trainwreck. I thought he was pretty funny in Trainwreck. I think he can handle some stuff or whatever. Uh, LeBron James as a human being, you know, not my favorite person. I don't think uh, he seems a little annoying. I don't like that. He flops and he, he cries all that he cried. That's what I don't like mainly. He cries so freaking much about everything. It's like, they didn't give me the call. And it's like, well, most people don't get that call. LeBron James, you don't just get it because you're LeBron James, but that's a side rant about sports. The movie for me, the trailer just looked like they were trying too hard to copy almost ready player one with all these other characters in it and stuff. And I'm just like, all right, is it going to, is this movie? Space Jam 1 was really a simple story. Space Jam 2 looks like they're going to try and cram way too much into it to where it's just not going to work. I'm 100% going to see it. I'm not, you know, I'm definitely going to watch it. And I may enjoy it. It Just from the first trailer I saw, I was like, okay, it, it, it looks like it's, it's it's been a loose focus of what the original what the story of space jam was and i say i'm willing to give it a shot and kind of go in with a more open mind and yes i get that maybe it does look a little bit like ready player one but again they're going with a different sort of premise to set up this movie than they did the first space jam so we'll see how it turns out so i think we spent enough time on that one so where did you go with this movie of yours related to this tim tebow story uh, I went with a uh, old guy who gets back into the ring, and that's Rocky Balboa, which, for my money, is my favorite Rocky movie. I absolutely love Rocky Balboa. I think Stallone should have been nominated for an Oscar for Rocky Balboa. The speech in Rocky Balboa about it's life's not about how hard you can hit; it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's one of the greatest speeches in movie history. Um, and what, yeah, I remember coming home from college um, and I went and saw Rocky Balboa with my brother in theaters. My brother's all-time film series is the Rocky series. And and it's just, and, and the, the, to relate it back to the story, it's about a guy past his prime who gets called out to come back and, and fight and get back in the ring again. And uh, so that's what it reminded me of. Tim Tebow is an old man trying to be a tight end in the NFL. That's fair. And I know this franchise is very near and dear to your heart, not only the franchise, but this movie in particular. And I'll be honest, I haven't really seen this one. I've seen a good number of the Rocky sequels, but not every single one. And this one, it almost seemed like it kind of wanted to be a reboot of the franchise, that they could have kind of made direct sequels to this one after it had come out because it was kind of a little bit different with what it did and the time that it was made, the time period in the 2000s. So you know, do you think this could have been, in hindsight, kind of a springboard for them to reinvigorate the Rocky franchise? I think you can call it. To, you can see the direct parallels between Balboa and Creed, because Creed really picks up the Balboa story, where uh, Adrian has passed away. Balboa is now running a restaurant. You know, his glory days are almost in the past. And I think Creed, man, with Kugler, what Ryan Kugler did when he wrote that, man, was just he. I think he took the ball from Balboa and and brought it into the Creed world. So I would say they did create a sequel to Rocky Balboa in Creed. Sure, I could certainly see that. How it kind of maybe has an influence over the Creed movies about how they kind of looked at Rocky Balboa and said we should approach these these Creed movies, kind of how this one did it. So. I could certainly see that transition. That was probably a pretty seamless one where they say, okay, we're going to continue the franchise and not really kind of reboot it or do a lot of different things, but almost just kind of continue the story from this point. So Creed is a franchise now that I really like. I'm a little apprehensive about the third one because I thought the second Creed, they kind of ended the story well and it could have been the last of those, but I'm willing to see how this one turns out. Creed three, but Getting back to Rocky Balboa, I, I certainly am with you. That speech in there where he's talking to his son, that's one of the best movie monologues, best kind of motivation movie monologues out there. So I definitely think it kind of has a place in, in sports movies. 
So last but not least, our final story of the week here has to do with the Oakland Athletics possibly changing cities, possibly going to a new location. And this is, again, I, I did notice that you wore that hat and probably specifically related to this story in the episode. But this is another kind of complicated ongoing issue or situation that has yet to resolve. So this is kind of still ongoing and it's really just kind of whispers and talks and rumors right now about the team moving cities. But I think this would be a real shame. And it kind of has to do with this stadium that they, they've kind of had on the table for a while now. They wanted to get a new stadium and they kind of have plans drawn up for it, but it's a little slow moving. So this is kind of a, a complicated kind of political situation that they're in. But I think it would be a shame because I think Oakland, Oakland Athletics fans, they're probably one of the more dedicated baseball fan bases out there. And I think it would be a real shame to move the team. I don't know where the team would move to, but it would be a real shame if the team was taken away from them. Yeah. I mean, in reading the article, it reminded me of that scene from Any Given Sunday, which is not my movie pick. But if you remember in Any Given Sunday, Cameron Diaz is talking to the mayor of Miami Talking, basically saying we'll move cities if you don't give us a new stadium. It kind of reminded me of that moment in that movie because it seems like that's that's kind of what's going on here. Is they're just like we're going to move unless you give us our new stadium. Yeah, that's a very cheap ploy to to say that and to want to do that just because. And I really hope again that they don't move because, like I said, I feel like o- Oakland Athletics fans are really diehard. That you'll find them there whether the team is doing well or not. That. They're one of the more dedicated fans in Major League Baseball. So, the in the article they mentioned that they uh, they were going to one of the prospects was maybe moving the stadium to Fremont, California, which for me would be awesome because I am from Fremont. And uh, if you think about where the 49ers play now, the 49ers are still the San Francisco 49ers, but they play in Santa Clara which is 45 minutes away from uh, San Francisco. So they could potentially move the stadium not in Oakland, but still in the vicinity of Oakland, like a Fremont um, um, or another area within an hour's reach of Oakland and still be called the Oakland Athletics. Time will tell. Obviously, this is a very complicated issue and still ongoing. So we'll just have to see in the near future how it shapes up. I personally hope that they don't relocate across the country or maybe even down the the California coast, because that sometimes doesn't work out for teams that relocate to that effect as well so we'll just have to see in due time yeah yeah i mean it'll be interesting i don't want them to leave oakland i mean oakland's lost every team they've had over the last few years so they need to keep something so i feel like there's a very clear choice when it comes to picking a movie related to this story oakland days baseball i mean let's hope did, did you also pick the movie moneyball i did indeed Thank you. So we did hit hit on one similar movie for the stories related to this week where there could have been some very obvious choices that have lined up. So we did hit on one this week. So obviously Oakland Day Baseball, Moneyball, fantastic baseball movie, great movie in terms of whatever other genres it kind of breaches. Because yes, this is a sports movie at its heart, but it's, it's about all that behind the scenes work. It's about putting a team together. It's about the inner office politics. It's about a person's journey of self-validation. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie besides sports. True. It is a great movie. It's the movie that brought Jonah Hill his first Oscar nomination. Um, it also, in as much as it is a movie in favor of analytics, it is a movie against analytics, as the Oakland Athletics have not won the World Series since uh, Billy Bean, I think his name is, was in that organization. So it's like, I don't know how well analytics really work in the sport if the whole goal is to win a World Series, and they haven't. True, but easier said than done. I think the practices that they use, they say kind of at the end of the movie how the practices that were put in place by the Oakland Athletics were then used by the 2004 Red Sox to win their first World Series championship in, I think it was 80-something years at the time. But So it's easier said than done, and especially when you start comparing, again, the movie kind of deals with this to the payrolls of the different teams when you have teams like the Yankees versus the Oakland Athletics who have the fraction of the payroll that the Yankees do. Again, 
easier said than done. Again, if you're even if you're still putting those practices into place that you assemble a team with, that it's still insanely tough to win a World Series. Yeah, without a doubt. I take I guess take the truth that part out of it. Just as a movie, it is a great movie. It's a, it's a it's a it's a more of a drama type movie. It's 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 you deal with you know uh, Brad Pitt is. Billy Bean, I'm almost positive that is his name. Because I think Billy Bean went to the Red Sox when they won the series. I think that's what happened. I might be making that up. No, in the movie, they say how he was kind of offered a deal to come to the Red Sox before their 2004 World's, World <laughs> Series win, and he turned it down to stay in Oakland at the time. And if I remember correctly, and don't hold me to this, but I believe he, he's moved on to a different team at this point in time in 2021 not necessarily with the athletics but with someone else but getting back to the movie yeah brad pitt had a fantastic performance in this and i think you're right where it's not technically a sports movie it's not technically a drama movie it's a little bit of both so i think fans of either one of those genres that doesn't really like the other people that like drama movies but not necessarily sports ones or vice versa I think there's a little bit of something for people of fans of multiple genres in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a good movie and an early Chris Pratt performance. He was one of the ball, ball players on um on the Athletics. Absolutely, it's got a great cast outside of Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. The late Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the manager. Obviously, there are other people that play different parts in it as well that are very good. So, very enjoyable movie, very enjoyable sports movie for me. All right, so this week's movie of the week, in lieu of a new movie, uh, we went with uh, we went with Draft Day because it's a movie that I watch every year on Draft Day because I'm a massive tool, and uh, it's one that I know you just watched for the very first time, and so I was like, that's not a bad movie. It's kind of a new movie pick for you because you had not seen it before. And uh, like I said, I watch it every year. This is a movie I can watch all the time. I I absolutely love it. It wasn't a big mass box office hit. wasn't a critical hit, but it is just a, it's just a great, enjoyable movie. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed Draft Day when I saw it for the first time a little bit ago. And I will say we've, we've obviously talked about it on the show before. It's a movie you enjoy and we've kind of mentioned it before, but just talking about it a little bit, you know, I, like I said, I did enjoy it when I saw the first time, saw it for the first time relatively recently and it's got another good cast as well in keeping with the sports movie theme from our previous story to this kind of wrapping up with the movie of the week here. And obviously the late, great Chadwick Boseman, uh, Kevin Costner plays the Cleveland Browns general manager, as well as a host of other people, Jennifer Garner, Dennis Leary, but uh, very good cast, very entertaining movie if you're a sports fan. I think if you're not really a sports fan, I'm not really sure how much there is to offer a casual moviegoer if they don't really follow the NFL or don't really understand the draft. I could see that. I, I was a, I, it, it really is kind of a good segue movie between our last story because I kind of consider Draft Day and Moneyball almost similar movies in that they're based in sports, but they're based in the office of these sports. And they, and they kind of, they, they give you a, a, a window into the inner workings of the sports. I will give you that. They are a little bit similar in that regard where at their base, they're movies about putting a team together at the professional level on the field. But I think that's where the comparison kind of stops because obviously they're different sports. They're way different tones. They're different objectives and things that they do with the movies. So I will say they're essentially similar in that regard, but maybe not everything that they do. So I will say for people who are sports fans and who do follow the NFL and the NFL draft, I, I wouldn't really say this movie is a very realistic interpretation of the events that probably transpire behind the scenes, but it's certainly an entertaining one. It's almost like a kind of fantasy movie about how you think these things work behind the scenes, where the sequence of events, that's probably never how they play out like they do in the movie in real life, but it certainly is entertaining for people who are fans of the sport. I, I mean, when the movie came out, I think a lot of people compared it to the actual, the trade. I mean, obviously it didn't work out that exact way, but they compared it to the trade that the Washington 
now Washington football team had made uh, for Robert Griffin III back in the day where they traded away their future almost. They traded, what was it, three or four first-round picks to get Robert Griffin III. And honestly, dude came out, run one rookie of the year. Unfortunately, that injury that he had in the playoffs that year killed his career. Yeah, so it's certainly an entertaining movie, behind-the-scenes look at some of that sort of thing and, you know, how fans picture it is versus how it actually is. So, Draft Day, I think it's an entertaining sports movie. It's a little bit of a drama, too. I wouldn't say quite as much as Moneyball, but it definitely does hit on some of those elements. But I think Draft Day is entertaining, and I could see why you put it on your, your movie calendar of things you watch on certain days every year. Yeah, I mean, I just... It's an excuse to watch a movie, really. And luckily, Draft Day is one that I've watched it every year since it came out, and I just don't get sick of it. There are certain movies, like I watch every year on Christmas, you know, certain movies where I, I get some fatigue of watching them every year that I'm like, next year I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to let it build, you know, over the course of two years. And that may one day happen with Draft Day. It just hasn't yet. I, I just can watch it all the time. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week's uh, Life Imitating Movies. Hopefully we picked some good movies for you to go out and watch. I'd say we had a good discussion, some good articles and stuff. So uh, anything you want to wrap up with there, Mitch? No, just again, thanking everybody for listening, for watching, for tuning in here. So we'll be back again, same time, same bat channel, with a 10 a.m. Eastern new episode of Life Imitating Movies on our different platforms, whether you listen to the audio on Spotify, iTunes, and others, or you're watching the video version on YouTube. So we'll be back again next week. Yeah, have a week.